This is the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Episode 5 of the Illumina Genomics Podcast. I'm Paul Broman, and I'm a scientific liaison here at Illumina. Every podcast, I'll interview top scientists whose work in genomics is shaping the way we think about science and our world. According to a 2012 issue of Forbes magazine, food spoilage and global supply chains costs more than 35 billion U.S. dollars every year. Perishable foods are typically processed and stored using refrigeration to suppress the growth of bacteria. Some perishable foods are also packaged under inert gas, like carbon dioxide or nitrogen. This reduces oxygen content in the package and suppresses the growth of aerobic bacteria. Despite these efforts, large amounts of perishable food ultimately spoil. Today I'm at the University of Helsinki in Helsinki, Finland, and I'm here to talk with Dr. Johanna Björkroth. Johanna is Professor of Food Hygiene and Environmental Health at the University of Helsinki. She and her team use genomics to study how cold-tolerant bacterial communities develop and spoil perishable foods. I started our interview by asking about how she became involved in applying genomics approaches to the study of food spoilage bacteria. Genomics, uh, it started, you know, by sequencing uh, certain uh, food spoilage organisms which were detected by my team, so that uh, they were bacteria we didn't know that they they could be and would be harmful organisms uh, uh, food quality-wise. That started in 1996 when we uh, ran into a group of uh, organisms we couldn't identify and they caused a major problem in the Finnish food industry. So they were causing gas formation, carbon dioxide for- formation, and then redu- drastic reduction of uh, shelf life. And of course, uh, if one thinks of the food industry in those cases, the product must be withdrawn from the market. Uh, in these cases, when we had uh, bulging of the packages and carbon dioxide formation, uh, then food from the food safety uh, perspective, you have to be alarmed because it could be uh, also a pathogenic uh, group like Clostridia causing the gas formation. She and her team analyzed the affected food, but they found no evidence of pathogenic bacteria. The culprit turned out to be a new species of leuconostoc bacteria, called leuconostoc gasicomatatum. Johanna and her team then identified several other bacterial strains that were also involved in food spoilage. We uh, isolated a new group of leuconostoc bacteria that was named leuconostoc gasicomatatum those days, Later we found a little bit uh, more of those and, and then corrected the taxonomy again. It's causing uh, spoilage uh, issues in, in the meat industry, but also in, in raw vegetable products. Uh-huh. So almost all of the modern food products which are packaged uh, either uh, under vacuum or modified atmosphere. And of course, uh, when we had a case like that, it was a practical problem. And then, then there was the question that what's in the genome? First, we really started to work with this one species. Then, of course, other major players were sequenced, some Lactococcus piscium strains, uh, Lactobacillus oligofermentans, uh, especially Lactococcus piscium and, and Leuconostochelidum subspecies. They are the major players. Since the food spoilage bacteria were discovered in packaged food produced in Finland, you might assume that the bacteria were also specific to Finland. However, these bacteria are actually found broadly in different countries and in different food products, including vegetables. 
they are they are more more broadly distributed over all over that uh, when we st- had these cases in Finland of course when when we saw these first time then it was like wow what has our food industry done that wh- why they are in Finland <laughs> but actually it was because uh, in Finland the modified atmosphere packaging this is my theory that that we used that much more and started to use it earlier than the other countries but uh, for example some years ago our uh, Belgian colleagues started to publish that this so-called Finnish specific spoils organism Casicomitatum is is really a major problem in the packaged vegetable production and uh, it seems to be that uh, that certain certain ways how these uh, bacteria are really able to uh, grow fast and in ver- various type of products if there's carbon dioxide as inhibitory agent for the aerobic spoilage bacteria In addition to food spoilage bacteria, Johanna had already mentioned that there are also known bacterial pathogens, like Clostridia, that can pose a health risk when present in food. I asked Johanna whether genomics might possibly be used someday to help food producers and regulatory agencies to monitor food safety and quality. Yeah, I think that, uh, that uh, of course, one, when one thinks how food industry operates, so they try to to prohibit problems and uh, the way we think uh, food controls and food safety is ensured that is to do with own control strategies and really ensuring that there is a good hygiene level in the processing or at the processing environment so they are monitoring certain points in the production that they 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 deal with uh, with uh, good cleaning and good temperatures and and that's of course how it must be and uh, however then Sometimes, you know, uh, when this is not enough, and what what is actually the, the most interesting uh, point is where are these uh, these spoilage organisms coming from and, and what to do with them. And if one, one thinks of uh, monitoring the, the cleanliness or, or, or hygiene level at food processing premises, it's really, it's, it's uh, not that specific that it could show that, okay, there are some bacteria, as there, there always is, But these are harm, harmful and these are not harmful. So you can't really uh, go, go like a real-time monitoring that what is the dose of harmful contaminant at our, our processing. And uh, this, of course, uh, that I think that we actually we would benefit uh, from uh, major sequencing studies that we could uh, really study uh, different types of uh, food processing environments. Specifically, more large-scale DNA and RNA sequencing projects are needed to identify all of the microorganisms that live in these particular environments. This is also known as a microbiome, and Johanna discussed that understanding the microbiomes of food production is especially important, since food spoilage bacteria are not associated with the animals that are used in meat production. Well, I, I would say that the methods have also not been, you know, ready for this because you need uh, highly automated uh, things. And, and I think that it's actually not, not even the sequencing part blocking this, but it's the handling of the, the, the data. I wouldn't put the blame uh, on the, the food industry. I would actually say that uh, we should still, you know, run a big basic science or so fundamental science project. I consider always these factories that they are man. They also the factories are man-made niches. The the food products are man-made niches. It's actually quite a, a interesting question that, that that how different this type of microbiome you have in these processing facilities. How different it is from the microbiome of of you know outside because uh, because we think that these spoils organisms are environmental contaminants. And they are not associated with meat animals. The microbiome genomic data 
would provide a better basic understanding of how microbial activity leads to food spoilage. But in the future, Johanna believes that this work could also result in new and better diagnostic tools to evaluate food spoilage and monitor food shelf life. What I think that it's giving some sort of uh, possibilities for newer technologies and also new, better diagnostics, how we deal with the self-life evaluation and that sort of things. I would guess that there will never be, you know, just one marker for all food, so that there should be typical markers for each of the certain food types. Uh, this, I think that it's uh, in the years to come, it's of course quite reasonable that, that we could find those those uh, solutions. But perhaps the food industry doesn't really yet see this, that it's too fundamental research. So that it's not yet in proof of concept phase or something that they would apply. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure and hopeful that during these uh, next five years something will happen that people understand that we would have, you know, big projects uh, which will look at the, the so-called household production environment microbiomes then to try to link this new way with the, with the spoilage and contamination. And it, it's also opportunity for science uh, financers to really see that what areas would be, you know, uh, in between applied research and then fundamental, and they, they would be really uh, quite uh, interesting uh, and having a social societal impact. I asked Johanna about her biggest challenges in studying the genomics of food spoilage bacteria. In addition to bacterial genomes, it turns out that understanding the sequences of the expressed genes, called the transcriptome, is critical to understanding how these bacteria thrive. This type of data needs to be integrated with genomic data, and this is on top of the enormous microbial diversity that's present in the relevant microbiomes. What is challenging here that with money you can build quite easily, you know, some sort of lines which are dealing with DNA. But uh, some people, of course, always they say that, okay, let's put this, uh, this input in and uh, I want to see results after two years. And in our case, what makes it quite challenging is that uh, the more and more we have been looking transcriptome studies, the more and more we see that it's a regulatory stuff which is going on, which is actually dictating that how active these contaminants can be. Then you face the fact of the, the microbial diversity, of course, so that uh, it's not enough that you have presence-absence data of one species. You have uh, several, you know, clonal lineages or clonal complexes, and certain, certain complexes seem to be, you know, more uh, prevailing in certain products, so, so, so that there's also like population genomics <laughs> going on that then certain groups might be regulating uh, their pathways a little bit differently and might be more active under certain certain circumstances. And here the diversity is really challenging us. Johanna believes that future studies are going to require a great deal of DNA and RNA sequencing and computational power. Different foods will need to be monitored at different stages of shelf life. Next generation sequencing, or NGS platforms are the only technologies that currently provide the necessary throughput to handle these kinds of studies. Of course, it's, nowadays it's uh, doable that you can get a lot of sequence data, you can get RNA-seq data, and you can map and you do make these things happening, but it, it's actually resources. You need a lot of computing, because it's not, uh, not okay that you just take three packages and you look something. You have to follow the whole shelf lifetime. Then you should repeat this. Then you should change also to, to different products and so on. 
So we have been uh, been uh, then also sticking in in our model organisms so that we spike foods or we grow them together to to get some basic hypothesis that how they regulate their pathways and uh, we still do this. But uh, I think that uh, that everybody knows that the real thing you should do is 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 to work with with real foods. Finally, Johanna discussed how she would like to see better integration of multiple types of data, including genomics data, so we can get a better overall picture of biological systems. What I hope that uh, that there will be easier ways to combine different layers of data, different types of data, so that you would have your your metagenomes and then RNA seqs and uh, and then then also uh, metabolome data handled in a way that uh, that I, I think that. Probably it is this machine learning and, and that sort of things that, mm. that's, that, that the handling of data of complicated experiments and different types of data that I kind of hope that and I think at least uh, several people are, are saying it, not only my field, that we need this type of new approaches. So I hope and wish that during the next five years we have easier methods to, to then deal with this. Well, that's all for now. Be sure to follow our podcast so you won't miss any of our interviews with genomics experts. Join me next time when I'll be discussing the genetics of common and rare immune diseases with Dr. Jana Sarela from the Finnish Institute for Molecular Medicine here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Mm-hmm.